Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Classroom 33 podcast. Pastor Dustin here with Steve Prudian, and uh, today we are going to be talking more about the wheat and the tares. Steve, how are you doing this week? I think I'm doing pretty good this week, Dustin. Thank you for asking. Well, that's a good way to start it off. All right. So, the wheat and the tares. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, sometimes you'll look on the surface and you would think that Jesus is telling a farming story. But um, a farming story has application. Yes, it does. You know the main emphasis of any farming story? Do you know what it is, Dustin? Uh, you plant things, things grow? Exactly. It's what you get out of it. Okay. It's the end result. The harvest. It's called the harvest, or it could be called the fruit, or it could be called the grain, okay? But whatever it is, or it could be called the vegetable, but whatever it is, okay, you have to take a look at the end result. Okay. Okay? Yep. Now, unfortunately, in farming, again, people know that I do not come from a farm background. You can do things the right way. You can do things the wrong way, or you can do nothing at all. Okay. But there is only one way you are going to get the results that you desire. And how do you think that is? That would be doing it the right way. That would be doing it the right way. Sometimes I have become baffled. In fact, just last year I became baffled. A few people in the church know that Stephen, his lack of agrarian knowledge, killed two acres of perfectly good grass. <laughs> <laughs> I might know you did that. <laughs> be, be, because he did what he thought he was spraying was just the opposite of what he really was spraying. Okay. <laughs> the the poor guy. He's so smart, he didn't read the label. Oh, yep. The downfall of many a smart man. So sometimes, sometimes you have to pay the price when you do not read the label. Yes. Do you know that the Bible is just like that? (laughs) I do, You will pay the price if you do not read the instructions. Got to read the instructions. Well, needless to say, in this particular story... I had to spend hour after hour retilling the ground. Yep. And you're talking to a guy who's never, ever tilled ground before. (laughs) There is an easy solution to where I come from in Boston. What's that? You put cement on everything. (laughs) (laughs) But it's hard to have green space if there's cement anywhere. Well, that's the reason why they have bad air. Right. Well, yeah. I'll give you that one. But, but anyway, the, 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 the case in point is, is is that I put down all new grass seed. Okay. But not all that grass seed grew very good. I had some that grew well, and I had some that did not grow well, and I had some that didn't grow at all. Okay. But I didn't have to plant one weed. I did not spend, spread any weed seed. How many of those grew? I got more weeds than I got grass. <laughs> and it baffled me, and it made me wonder, 
How did that happen? And it's, you know, yeah. the fact is, is that even as Christians, we are compared to some type of a crop. Yep. That crop that we're compared to in Jesus' story in Matthew is as we're compared to that of wheat. Yes. But even wheat has struggled sometimes with the best of gardeners and the best of farmers. Mm-hmm. Because. The because is, like me planting grass, I did not plant any weeds. But somehow the weeds planted themselves. They find a way, don't they? They find a way. And one of the things I realized about these weeds, again, being a little on the stupid side, not having this agricultural background that a guy from Boston obviously does not have, I found out that the certain weeds, when I went to pull them up, they also pulled the grass up by the root. Okay. Okay. Yep. Somehow, these these weeds had worked themselves into the root system of this new grass that I had planted. Yep. But for some reason, the roots on the weeds were much stronger than the roots on the new grass. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and it literally entangled them. So subsequently, there's a lesson in the Bible that was taught by Jesus about the fact that in any garden, you're not going to get only just the wheat, even though you planted the wheat. Right. Okay? Weeds happen. In the case of Jesus, Jesus says that the weeds happened intentionally. Right. And you would think, why would anybody intentionally, intentionally plant weed seed? Well, we have to remember, we do remember that it's a parable. And he's talking about the great farmer, which would be God, and God has an enemy. Ah. And that enemy is the devil, and the devil does want to plant weeds so that we as Christians can't grow like we're supposed to and produce the fruit that we need to. And what is the devil's method of attacking what God grows? Well, he creates a counterfeit. That's one thing he does, okay? The apparatus, the motive of Satan is what? It's very simple. I will give you the first word. To seek. And destroy. To seek, kill, and destroy. Yep. Okay? And the thing is, is, is that who would God's enemy want to destroy the most God's people I would think God's children yep more than just God's people God's children do you know that children are equated with another word that's very dear to God no what is that that word is creation right okay? yep we are his creation yes we are and Satan wants to kill the creation of God. There's a couple yep, there's a couple one. of ways to kill God's creation. 
There's the slow way, okay. and then there's the fast way. What do you think the tears, the weeds, utilize for the destruction of God's creation? I would think that would be the slow way. That is the slow way. It is synonymous with strangulation. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. And you were talking about the the roots of the weed getting entangled with the roots of the grass. Mm -hmm. And so you can't remove one without injuring the other. And what did the farmer tell his servants? Let the weeds grow. Let the weeds grow. And then what? And we'll separate them at harvest. What was the crop? Wheat. Wheat. How do you separate wheat from tears or the look-alike at harvest? I have absolutely no idea. You don't? I don't. I, I, I do not have an agriculture background either. And, well, this uh, is actually biblical. This is not agricultural. Okay. In the Middle East, I don't know about America, okay, but in the Middle East, the ancient way of determining true wheat grain from untrue wheat grain, or untrue, untrue imitation grain, which is okay. called the, the tears, they go through a process of winnowing. Ever hear the process called winnowing? Yes, I am familiar with that. Um, How and I does guess, that work? How does winnowing work? If you're familiar well, and with I that? always, I guess, I always thought it was a way of separating um, more of the wheat from the chaff. kind of the, the chaff and the, the husk. shell, right? So um, basically, the seed has more density than the chaff does, and so. You kind of fluff it up into the air and you toss it up, and, the breeze, exactly right. and the breeze carries away what you don't want. Exactly with the tears. The tears are imitations, they have no substance. So you. They do you, not have a kernel. Okay, so the same process. Same process. Okay. But the light one, which is the tears, are caught in the wind and they blow away, and the wheat, which is heavy, falls back into the basket. Have, do you know what the process is, what they do? They gather it all in. They can't tell the difference when they cut it. Right. Okay? They don't have fine microscopes where they'll look at, oh, you must be a tear out. Oh, you're wheat. You can stay at the basket. <laughs> they put it all in the basket. Okay? Right. Now, did you know that they don't take the whole plant stock and head and put it in the basket? They only put the heads in the basket. Okay. Okay? Makes sense. Then what they do is they take these baskets, they're big baskets, right. and they would take them and they throw it up in the air. And they put the basket back down on the ground, okay, in the wheat, because it has substance, it has value, it has weight, it will fall back into the basket or around the basket. But because the tears have no substance, no value, they're no empty. truth, they're empty, they're light, okay, they're caught in the wind, hmm. and they're blown away. There's a moral to the story. And the moral to the story is, are you to eat or are you to not to eat? <laughs>
Yes, are you going to continue? Because the wheat from that point is refined mm-hmm. into something that's usable. And the tares are gone. 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 What's interesting is this is when, when uh, Jesus talks about what you do, okay, what you do with the tares is the description is, is you bundle them up and you toss them in the fire. Right. Okay? What's being bundled up and what's being tossed in the fire? The tares. What's left of the tares? They've blown away. Right. Okay, so what's left of the tears? The stalks. The stalk is being burnt up. You want to know why? Why is that? Totally useless. Yep. Of no value. Of no nutrition. Do you know that people have actually did, have done a taste test, a taste difference of the seed of the tear versus the seed of the wheat? No, I was not aware of that. Yes. And how they can tell the difference between what is a false versus what a true is. The tear will, it's called, it's called a plant, the category of plant that is called the Stanel. Okay? But okay. this particular character of this plant, when you put it in your mouth, it'll cause you to cough. It'll choke you. Really? The other aspect about this seed, if you bite a head of tear, okay, is, is that it will be extremely bitter. Interesting. But even Jesus sent his disciples out to eat the heads off the wheat. Right. On the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, yeah. And the thing is, is that if you take the heads of the wheat off and you chew on them, they are actually sweet. Interesting. So the false is bitter and will choke you. But the true is nutritional and will be pleasant to taste. That's quite interesting. That's quite a revelation to have there. Well, the question is, is that if you're a, if you're a Christian, if mm-hmm. you're the wheat, shouldn't you be tasteful? You would think so. Mm-hmm. We're called to be salt and light. Salt and light are attractive. Should, they are draws. Should you be desirable? Yes. Should you be beneficial? I would hope so. But if you're a tear, what are you? Empty. Empty. Okay. You're worthless. You should be burnt because you're useless. Now, if you're a, a, a wheat farmer and you've harvested the wheat, you've separated the heads of the wheat from the stalk, what do you do with what's left over? There's two things that happen that are left over. And I'll give you a hint, okay? Okay. Do you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? Yes. Does any farmer collect 100% of the wheat? No. Not a single one. In that story with Ruth and Boaz, is there some wheat left behind? There is. There's Why? the gleanings of the field that uh, 
are left behind for those who can't afford to buy. Do you know that is a case for survival food? These people are surviving on what has been left behind. Yep. But it's been left in it behind with a good intent. Yes. And do you know that it is, um, it is not a command of God, but an instruction of God to yes. leave behind part of the field for those who can't afford to buy the wheat? Yes, that I am familiar with. What do you think the importance of that is? Well, it's part of God taking care of his children, but it's it's a way that the farmer can help widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. And is that a Levitical rule? To care for the widows and orphans? It's Levitical, it's Mosaic, but how... <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. it is. It's God's way yep. of taking care of those people who can't take care of themselves. And even Jesus said, he says, I won't be with you always, but the poor will be with you always. Yes, he did. And what was his instruction? Take care of them. Feed the poor. Yep. Feed the poor. Okay, um, since I, we got, we're into this lesson now, I think we need to do a refresher on what the text has to say. All right. So Matthew 13, 37 through 46, can you give us a quick reading on it? Certainly. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field in his excitement. He hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. That's through 46. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. In the class that we have on Sunday morning, we've talked about seed, we've talked about wheat, we've talked a little bit about tears, and uh, we're going to be talking more about it this uh, Sunday. Okay. Okay? Because um, one or two of the members in the class had brought up something else that tears represent. And what they brought up was that sometimes you can't tell a real Christian from an unreal Christian. And sometimes an unreal Christian will claim to be a real Christian. There's 
plenty of times where where that happens. There's plenty of examples in the Bible. Yes, there that are. Ha that have shown people that we assumed they sh they were Christians, but their very actions and their very words and their behavior gave them away as being not true. Why Correct. would a person want to be identified as a Christian but not be a Christian? Well, I don't want to speak for the individual, but one of the things you learn in study of the Bible is that the devil loves forgery, and he loves counterfeiting the work of God, and with his agenda to kill, steal, and destroy, having a false Christian is more effective than having a non-Christian in a lot of different ways. And so I can understand where, from the devil's perspective, that false Christian is going to influence people away from becoming Christian, is going to impact Christians to be less fruitful. And so, while I can't speak for the individual, the influence behind the individual is pretty crystal clear in the words of Scripture. That's 100% correct. One of the methods that Satan uses with imitation or a counterfeit mm -hmm. is the method of confusion. Right. So people don't know what to believe. They don't know what to look for. They're literally sidetracked. Okay? Their eyes are taken off of what the truth, what they should be looking at, and they look at something that is only a half-truth or a non-truth represented as a truth. Right. I'm going to ask you a question. Let's see if you can answer this. All right, here we go. The Bible says that you have to be able to beware of a wolf in sheep's clothing. How do you tell a wolf from a sheep? Well, I would think if you know what the sheep is, you're going to recognize the wolf pretty easily. But it says that he comes disguised as a sheep, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He can look just like a sheep. But does he walk like a sheep? This what does, but does he eat like a sheep? That's does? the tell. The tell is okay. the tell is, okay, how do you tell a wolf from sheep's in sheep's clothing is when it comes time to eat. What does one eat versus the other? Well, the sheep eats, eats the grass of the field. And what does the wolf eat? The sheep. The sheep. <laughs> right. One is a meat eater. Correct. Okay, he's yep. a carnivor carnivorous animal. Yes. Okay, where the sheep are vegetable eaters, grass eaters. Yep. Okay, but the fact is, is, is that the evil one draws blood. Yes, he does. The evil one draws blood. The evil one requires the life 
of his victim. Mm -hmm. So, when we have a wolf in sheep's clothing within the church, what is the objective of the wolf? To destroy the church. To feed off the sheep. To feed on the flock, yep. Which destroys okay. the church. Does it happen with just one sheep? Not usually. It does not happen with one sheep. It happens with more of the herd, okay, being decimated, okay, yep. by what looks good but is evil. So therefore, today, and in class on Sunday, the people who come will get this list. It's really a compare and contrast list, okay, of what the sheep look like, mm -hmm. okay, the children of God, those who we call Christians, and the tears, or what we call the counterfeit Christian. Oh, by the way, right. I was thinking there's a reason why they are called tears. What's that? Because they'll make Jesus cry. All right. Okay. Because what these what these imitation Christians, these counterfeit Christians do, is they're literally killing the children of God. They're killing those that Jesus Christ has shed His blood for to save. They are destroying the potential that God has created in each one of them. Hmm. Yep. So should we be aware of who the imitation is and know how to spot the imitation within the true church? I would think so. Do we? I would, I would, do think, we? It's, I would think it's important. Do we? Or do we just ignore it? No, I don't think we ignore it. I am, however, going to put a little bit of a spin on it for you. I want you to. Okay. First of all, I think this is, this compare and contrast needs to be used very carefully. And um, I think it's going to be more, more important and more useful and more biblically accurate if we're using it for primarily introspection. Let's review ourselves. Let's look at myself. Do I fall, which category do I fall in? And seeking the conviction of the Spirit so that we are not inadvertently or unintentionally being a sheep in wolf's clothing, or a wolf in sheep's clothing, excuse me, um, because we don't want to act like the wolf. We want to be the sheep, and sometimes we get it wrong. And sometimes other people get it wrong. And I think if we were to use this list to judge other people and point at whoever, you know, the person that sits next to us or the pew in front of us or across the room, if we were to start looking at them and using this list, we're very quickly going to become pretty much everything on the list. And that's judging incorrectly. And I think we have to just 
be aware of that. I will, however, say, because Scripture puts a much stronger emphasis on the judging of our teachers, we do have to evaluate the teaching that we hear based on this list. Whether it's the teaching that you hear from the front here at Faith or the teaching in our children's ministry. Whether it's um, on the radio that we're listening to, the teaching there. Um, If it's something that you watch online, if you follow any preacher any teacher of the Bible that claims to be a teacher and a preacher of the Bible and you start seeing these items on what I have as poor imitations of Christ, but if you start seeing these things, we need to really start evaluating further what is going on what is biblical, what is not biblical. And I challenge anybody, anytime, anywhere, if I am teaching from the front, if it's a podcast, if it's children's ministry, anywhere that you see me teaching, anywhere that you hear me teaching, I beg you, evaluate what I'm saying. Challenge what I'm saying. Don't take my word for it. Go to the source. Go to the Bible. I am a human being. I'm not infallible. I get things wrong. And you deserve for me to grow. And I'm not going to grow if you're taking everything I say without evaluation. And if I make a mistake, you and the person that sits next to you And anybody else who listens to the podcast or whatever, they deserve to have me corrected so that I can correct it for them. So that's that's where I say, this is a good list. I like this list. But we need to be careful about the use of this list. Did you know there's a very simple standard to test by? And what's that? I'll say this to you, you have probably already heard it. If anyone in Christian service emphasizes me, myself, or I, what does that tell you? They got the wrong emphasis. They got the wrong emphasis. Now, they could be doing a good work. Correct. Okay? And they could have every intention to do a good work. But intention has to be looked at by motive. Correct. What is the motive for it? And anytime anyone who's in ministry robs the glory of God, because God is a jealous God, and mm-hmm. he shares his glory with no one, there is no room for me, myself, or I. Correct. Absolutely correct. Actually, the reason this list exists is really what we should do is take the list, fold it in half, or rip it in half, 
and work on the things that we are called to be, we should be, and not have to worry about the things that we may have deficiencies in only because we're not aware and we don't know. Right. But the thing is, is, is that the good will displace the bad. The light, okay, makes the darkness flee. Yes, it does. So if, in fact, our concentration should be on the real, we don't have to worry about the unreal. But the thing is, is that you need to know as a caution, like a, a, a stoplight at an intersection or a sign, okay, there's reason why it's there. You have to take a look at it. You have to be aware that this is a crossroad. Yes. And the thing is, is that many of us go through life with no direction. Mm -hmm. Okay? We don't have stops, go, stops and goes. Okay? We may think we know what right and wrong is, but do we? Sometimes that, uh, that right versus wrong, the waters get awful muddy sometimes. Well, rather than us giving credit where credit is not due. Right. Okay. To the person that you call a poor imitation of Christ. Yes. We should be talking about the qualities of the true children of God. You know what the word Christian means? The word Christian is little Christ in translation. Actually, it means even something more than that. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. You know, like, if you see the word, like, um, Daniel, for example. Okay. Okay. Where's God in Daniel? I don't know. He's in the EL. Okay. Okay. What happens is, is that the Jesus in us, okay, is in the IAN. People think it's in the C-H-R-I-T, but it isn't. It's in the I-A-N. The I-A-N means just this. It means son of. So who are we the son of? We're the son of God. We're the son of Christ. Now, the word Christ, where does it come from, from all of your studies? From all of, our, from all of my studies, um, Christ is more synonymous with Messiah or Savior than... From what language? I have not studied a lot of the language, so... It was uh, only, pro probably, yeah. probably the Greek. Exactly right, because even Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Right. And Peter's answer for an ignorant Hebrew fisherman shows that he had outside influence mm -hmm. that outside influences he said you are the Christ the Christ the Christ yep the son of the living God mm -hmm. the Messiah yes what's interesting is that word Christ that Peter used which I found was interesting he didn't use the word Jesus. Right. He didn't use the word Lord, but at times he has referred to both 
Jesus as Jesus and referred to him as Lord. But in this particular case, he referred to him as Christ, capital C. Yes. And what that means is, is, is that he is the Messiah. Yes. He is the one that they've been waiting for. He is the Redeemer of Israel. But yes, the word is. Christ came from the Hellenization. It came from the period of Alexander the Great, when he basically brought the influence of Greek throughout the total Middle East and Egypt. In fact, he, his influence even spread to India. Okay, wow. So, the word Christian means a son of Christ. To be a son of Christ, what is that indicative of? Similar properties and, you know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If you are so. the son of your father, what does that make you? His heir. His heir? Yep. And what he's, else? And he's going to raise me and he's going to teach me and he's going to correct me and I'm going to look like him and walk like him and talk like him. There is something far greater that most of us do not value as the word Christian. And what that is, is we are of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Because he came to shed his blood for our sakes. Yes, he did. Okay, so the fact is, is for you to be a son, you have to be in the bloodline of your father. Yep. So, yep. therefore... Knowing the importance of what a Christian is, we should know about the attributes of a Christian. What is Jesus like? Because that's who he wants us to be like. He wants us to be like himself. Mm -hmm. And when God looks at us, who does he see? He sees Christ. He sees Christ. He sees Jesus. And yep. the reason he sees Jesus is is because Jesus is our covering. Yes. And what does Jesus utilize in our lives for us to be like him every day? His spirit. His spirit. Exactly. But do we focus on what Jesus is doing and what we are supposed to be becoming? Most of us don't. <laughs> no. Why don't we? Because it's hard. Because we're busy. Right. We're busy trying to survive. And it's uncomfortable. And where did where did we supposed to put our treasures? In heaven. But where do we put our treasures? In our wallet. On earth. <laughs> okay. Right. The question is, is, is what do we treasure? That is a question. Should we run through the list on what our treasures are? The true list. The true list. Not the one that needs a lot of work. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave your list, and let's go to the book. Go ahead, go to the book. Because if we are doing what you say, and rightly so, we should be doing is we should be focusing on the work of the Spirit, and how, how can the Spirit make us better? And do most people identify the work of the Spirit? I don't know, but. Paul does, in his letter to Galatians, 
he does a compare and contrast of his own. Mm-hmm. And your list is pretty tame compared to Paul's list, but we're focusing on the positive. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Mm-hmm. This is this is the wheat. This is the truth. This is the value. This is the grain that we want to keep. This is what God is looking for and what will be treasured and refined. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, I'm just going to point out, because it's very easy to look at that list and get legalistic, which is on our poor imitations list. We have to let the Holy Spirit produce this fruit. I can't do it. I cannot generate from within me love. The Spirit can generate love within me if I let it. I let the Spirit work. This is what he produces. And if I try and produce anything, it goes completely sideways and it ends up being on the poor imitations list. So... How do we, that just leads me to the question, how do we become these positive things? Do you know the work that's working within us? Well, it's the work that's working within us. Do you know what's working within us? The Holy Spirit. To what purpose? To refine us and make us better and to make us more Christ-like so that at the time of the harvest... When Jesus comes to collect his bride, we can be spotless. There's a axiom. Okay. And the axiom is this, and you would have heard this before. Okay. okay. To shed, to give up the corruptible mm-hmm. or the incorruptible. Yes. And that's what our lives are all about. Okay. It isn't our flesh that Jesus came to save. It is not. It's our souls he came to save. So subsequently, we have to give up the corruptible, our flesh, okay, to achieve the incorruptible. Whoever loses their life will save it. You give up your life to save it. Yep. And how you know that that is being accomplished is by the fruits that you are, that are examinable. If you look at my list, the mm-hmm. number one thing on my list, which in, which entails this whole verse, this whole reading, right. is to be spirit-filled. Yes. But a lot of people do not understand that when you are spirit-filled, certain things happen within your character to become Christ-like. And that's why the rest of the list goes down to qualities of Jesus Christ or qualities the Son of Christ should have. Mm-hmm. He should be humble. Yes. He should be merciful. Yes. He should be just and fair. Mm-hmm. He should be he should have integrity. Yes. He should be obedient. Mm-hmm. Okay. He should be fully committed to the Word of God. Yes. 
He should be truthful. Mm-hmm. He should persevere. Yes. He should be prayerful. Always. He should be compassionate. Absolutely. He should be a servant. Mm-hmm. He should honor God, be reverent. Yes. He should be teachable, mm-hmm. always willing to learn more. Absolutely. Or, or learn differently. Yes. He should love God, and he should love other people. Not just God's people, but other people. Absolutely. Yep. He should be passionate. Yes. When I say he, I'm talking about human beings, he or she. Right. Okay. He should be a witness to all of the things that he believes and that he is becoming. Yes. He should show love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. He should say that Christ is Lord. Oh, by the way, I spelled it wrong, didn't I? What do you see wrong in my spelling? If I'm saying Christ is Lord, what is wrong to what I, how I wrote that? I don't know. He's not just my boss. He's my God. And that should be in all capital letters. Oh, the Lord? Yes. Lord should be in all capital letters. I actually did him a disservice. I actually kept him on an earthly plane. I should have given him the glory that he deserves, which is our Lord. Okay? And the other thing is, is, is to be a true Christian is you have to stand up for what you believe. You have to stand up for the faith. And therefore, the Bible says we're supposed to be soldiers. We're supposed to be warriors. We're supposed to be wearing the armor of God. Yes, we are. Why? Because we have an enemy that's attacking. Yeah, and we, we have, have to stand and fight. And what is our enemy described as? He's not a wolf. He's worse than a wolf. He's a roaring lion. Mm-hmm. To do what? Seeking to, seek, to devour. Kill. Destroy. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, you have to be a soldier. You have to be a warrior. You have to be aware. You have to be ready. And what is, what is our only weapon that we have against him? The sword. The sword. And the sword is called what? The sword is the word of God. The sword is the word of God. And when Jesus had to tell Satan to go take a hike, what did Jesus do? He used the sword. He quoted the word. Yes, he did. From what had been written from ancient times. Yep. Because even Jesus, uh, even Jesus needed to use, even though he's the son of God, the authority that he stood on was the word of God. Yes. Every, uh, every temptation that the devil laid, it, laid out for Jesus, his response was, it is written. What do you think about this one incident that is somewhat confusing? Okay. The incident that was confusing is, is when Jesus became upset with Peter. Okay. Do you recall words that you would not expect to come out of Jesus' mouth? Well, we already talked about the first half of this conversation. 
Because Jesus asks Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. Mm -hmm. And Jesus goes on to say, you know that because God has revealed it to you. That's right. And affords that to him. Then Jesus starts talking about his death. Uh-huh. Because he knows that's going to happen, and he's trying to mm-hmm. prepare the disciples. And we won't get into all of that nope. he is trying to do. No, you, you need to get into the, the climax. Into the of climax the of the, the story. The climax of the statement, yeah. And Peter goes, you can't die. No way. We won't let you. Uh-huh. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, get behind me, Satan. How did he look at him? Hurt, angry. He got right into his face. Yep. Get okay. be, get behind me, Satan. Read my lips. Yeah. <laughs> so what is that indicative of as far as Christians are concerned? We're not beyond the influence of evil. Sometimes we can have stinking thinking. Sometimes we Sometimes can. we can have stinking thinking. And you know what yeah. Jesus is gonna say? Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. This doesn't belong here. You know better than that. Yep. And so subsequently, we have to be gracious with our brothers and sisters who are becoming, growing in the faith, because not everybody is at the same place at the same time. Right. Okay? And the thing is, is you are probably more mature in some things that I haven't even realized that I need to grow in. But there'll come a day that both of our faiths will be perfected. But it won't be here. Because today, as Paul says, we see what? Through a glass, darkly, a smoked glass. Okay, yeah. But but someday we'll be able to see face to face. The glass is gone. Right. The shadows are gone. The fog is gone. The doubt is gone. Only the truth remains. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that goes back to my previous statement and why I changed it, why I have on mine poor imitation of Christ. Because I'm not here to judge whether or not you've received salvation. What we're talking about in this list is sanctification which is the growing in Christ-likeness. Keep talking. We're talking about sanctification, the growing in Christ-likeness after salvation. Because I can't look at somebody, you know, relationship versus religion, there is, yes. If you believe in Jesus... You have a relationship. As a relationship, you will become like him. Yes, you relationship. will. Relationship. If all you have is religion, you're the same old man you were, but now you have a bunch of rules and regulations. But sanctification doesn't happen at the same pace for everybody, and not everybody starts at the same spot. No. So we have to be very aware of that. This is a list talking about sanctification not salvation. 
because it's not for us to judge whether or not somebody else has been saved. Can you go to a church, our church, okay, and still get bit? Yes. Why? Because biters are everywhere. <laughs> That's right. And what does what is the difference between a non-biter and a biter if they look the same? What is the difference between a non-biter and a biter if they look the same? One of them's not biting you. It's their temperament. Right. It's their temperament. Okay. I've never had a litter of dogs. I know people who've had litters of dogs. Okay. And all of these litters come from the same mama. This litter comes from the same yep. mama. But you take a look at these dogs after a couple of weeks, and these some of the dogs, they're lickers, mm -hmm. but some of them are snippers. Mm -hmm. But the question is, they come from the same mommy and daddy. What makes them that way? Don't know. That's just who they are. Okay. So in a church, you can get lickers, and you can get snippers, mm -hmm. and guess what? They're part of the same litter. Yes, they are. So guess what? Since they're part of the family, you just got to help them to get over, okay, their snipping. Yes. I can agree with that. All right. Well, in the interest of time... Is there anything more that we need to discuss today? There is nothing more we need to discuss. We'll have more discussion on Sunday if you want to participate. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And uh, do you have any idea where you're going after this? Well, I think we're going to look at figs again. Going back to figs. Well, we really haven't really gotten into it because the class wanted to follow the lesson plan as it was outlined on the paper. Okay. Which they should. Okay, if it's important, if it's important to be on the paper, it's important enough to talk about it. Right. And sometimes the best place to start is a flyover. Exactly. And to dig in deeper from there. Exactly, because you know what? Sometimes when you start discussing something, you just can't finish it in one session. Sometimes you can't. You need to give you need to give it all the time that's due. Yep. Otherwise, you're doing an injustice to it. I would agree. And you know that as a minister of God's word, who is in charge of his word? The Spirit. So who determines the time and the season? The Spirit. That's right. So who are you and I? Nobody. Just instruments. Yep. He's just using us basically as a horn. Mm-hmm. And that kind of scares me. Because I never know what he's going to do next. I don't know what the, I don't know what the tune is. Well, I'm going to say I'm less scared about it. I'm often surprised, but if you know and trust God, I think there's less to be scared about. That's true. Sometimes, though, you will be called to do uncomfortable things. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that you have no idea until that call comes. It's usually after the call comes that I get scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dustin. All right, thank you very much, Steve. You have a great week.